it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This is ACAST Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favorite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hi, this is Nina, the host of the Nina Calza Show. Make sure you listen to my podcast where I cover every Liverpool Premier League game. The wins, the draws, the losses. I'm not going to lie, we don't have an awful lot of those. Good things are happening with Liverpool Football Club. And you can listen to this podcast. Just search for the Anfield Index podcast on Acast, on Apple Podcasts or any other provider you listen through. So join me as I cover all of Liverpool's Premier League games on Anfield Index. Thank you so much for listening. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from the UK and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. These are conversations at our intersections and an opportunity for us to hear firsthand from others in our community how they have learned and are learning to thrive. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so lets others like us hear the voices amplified here. Research conducted by the European Women's Lobby to better understand online abuse uncovered some startling, if not entirely unsurprising, statistics. In Europe, 9 million girls have experienced some kind of cyber violence by the time they're 15 years old. And despite the rapidly growing number of women experiencing online violence, only 26% of law enforcement agencies in the 86 countries surveyed are taking appropriate action. Shei Akawowo is working hard to change that. She first came to international attention when a video of her calling for at the European Parliament Youth event in 2016 went viral. But more than the content of her speech, it was the torrent of racist and sexist abuse she received that became the focus of media attention. She says that in that moment, she had the choice to fight or to run. She chose to fight. In the weeks that followed, she founded Glitch, a not-for-profit to end online abuse, and became the very visible face to an emerging and important movement to classify online abuse in the same real-world terms as offline abuse. She is, of course, more than the face of a movement, and our conversation is one of learning to understand who we are, what we believe in, and what we fight for, not being a martyr and the nuances of self-care. We discuss the rise of online abuse, how we combat it, and the hope behind Glitch. In the end, she and the team still believe in the power and beauty of the internet as a tool to connect, empower, and enlighten, and they are working hard to combat the darkness and violence that stops the internet from working to its fullest potential. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm Busy Being Black with Shay Akawowo. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for reaching out. I encountered you um, and Glitch via 
Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I think you appeared on Channel 5 talking about um, online abuse, and I, and I can't remember what it specifically was about, but then I kind of went into a deep dive about um, Glitch and, and what you're trying to do, and I'm just, you're so impressive. Oh, thanks, Josh. <laughs> I don't feel it today. I feel really tired today, so thank you for the eco boost. It's much needed. Um, I'd like to start off by talking about the genesis of, of Glitch, which I I think was born out of the the speech you gave at the European Parliament Youth Event in 2016. But before we do that, I want to kind of um, highlight some statistics for busy being black listeners. So according to the Women's European Lobby, 9 million girls across Europe have experienced some kind of cyber violence by the time they are 15 years old. Uh, women are 27 times more likely to be harassed online. 73% of women had reported experiencing online abuse, with 18% experiencing serious internet violence. Violence, and that despite the rapidly growing number of women experiencing online violence, only 26% of law enforcement agencies in the 86 countries surveyed are taking appropriate action. Now, did you find this out the hard way <laughs> after the your video for uh, your, uh, sorry after your speech for the European Parliament Youth Conference went viral? Yeah, because you always hear about women violence against women in some shape or form. You do hear it being a thing, but it never. Um, you never know the full extent and the repercussions and the ongoing impact and legacy of it until it really happens to you. Mm. And um, it was it happening to me that made me think, this is not just words, this is not just about muting it and blocking it, this was um, organized activity to try and take me out. And, you know, that in itself just um, leaves you wondering, Where's your access to justice? Who's backing you and supporting you? And like, is it worth it? The thing that they're attacking you on, is it worth keep keep to keep fighting it? And, you know, talking about back home and the state that we're in, and, you know, two years on from that video or three years on from that video, like things have not progressed. Like I still stand true to what I said, but there are times that makes me think, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said anything. And then... The activist in me is like, no, that's you being censored. You have the right to freedom of speech and expression. So, yeah, I just, um, it's so confusing. And you go back and forth with online abuse, like, is it worth it? But actually, you need people to be saying it's wrong and it's a human rights violation. And we need to come together in solidarity with all the different ways that different communities are abused and make that space safer. Because if, if you know, that sounds like an egotistical queen um if i came off twitter after that all happened we wouldn't have met mm, and so mm. it's about making sure that we are still there and still um having each other's back irrespective if you don't agree with everything that person is saying everyone has a right to exist on those online spaces without being abused without being such, abused yeah. yeah i think there's definitely a need to um uh there's definitely a need for you to be held accountable for what you say. And I think there's definitely a, need, there's definitely a space to um, have conversation and debate and challenges. Mm. And But um, increasingly, I don't even feel like Twitter is doing that anymore. I remember there being a real big discussion about Michelle Obama's book last year. And there being a huge group of people who um, didn't take to the book and didn't like what was written and... You know, that opened my eyes to a level of critique that I just probably didn't give Michelle. Um, but those that wanted to provide a different uh, opinion or alternative view were just shut down. And um, I don't know if actually 
online spaces are a safe space for people to have dialogue and to learn anymore. And so we, yeah, we need to have a real internal reflection around that. So, so talk to me about, take me through rather th- this decision to begin glitch. So you, you've kind of, you're experiencing this onslaught of abuse. And I'm really curious about what clicked in your mind to say, you know what, I'm going to try to solve this problem. Oh, Josh, I can't answer that question. It literally was, I caught Glitch my oops baby. Like it was, a, <laughs> we're going to be two years in, in April. Um, and it was, I ju- when something happens to you, you have two options, fight or flight. And neither of them are wrong. You do whatever you need to do to protect yourself. And I felt like I needed to fight because I was being disrespected, not only by these people that were organizing to attack me, but by social media companies not letting me down. And then being very aware of the little privilege that I have as a black woman who was an elected official, that I could get my MP to um, contact Google on my behalf. I could um, get Laura Bates from Everyday Sexism to help resweet and um, uh, put me in contact with um, with Twitter, that I could um, call the police. Not every woman and not every person from the black communities mm. can feel comfortable to do those things. And so that also angered me that I was in a position of somewhat privilege or hierarchy that wasn't afforded to other people. And so I didn't have time to really think about what I was doing. I just knew I had to fight. So when the opportunity from ITV London came to come and talk about what was happening and ask, you know, use that as a way to get social media companies to take down the content, first of all, because it was still up there and also answered some of these things because it had been a discussion for a while about online abuse. I took it and then from there it just catapulted into BBC calling me an internet abuse campaigner and Channel 4 wanting to do a discussion and asking me for some of the answers. And I went away and I, the way that I tried to start my healing process was um, a recommendations report around what would I want social media platforms to do better, to learn so that no other young black woman was facing what facing or went through what I faced. And what kept me going in that fight mode was that I had black women like DM me and um, we, you know, reply to my um, to my tweets saying, well, my tweets when I was fighting back saying, this is why I don't want to go into politics anymore because I see mm. what you and Diane Abbott get. And I was like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> and so it was seeing that as well. I was like, okay, we have to fight because there are people who are censoring themselves and being and, and not allowed to flourish and also who are who how dare these big private companies not have a duty of care when they benefit from our sassiness and joy and our magic online and I don't want to do fake news but somebody told me when I was in Canada recently that um the that there's a huge percentage of African-Americans that make up black Twitter, like a significant amount. I don't want to do fake news. I'm not going to give the, a, a stat that might not be true. And the amount of income that comes from that community alone is quite a lot. So actually, you know, if we started seeing ourselves as consumers of Twitter and Facebook and all these social media companies, um, we have a right for these people to, to treat, treat us be- better because actually we've got consumer power. They mm. they feed off our memes. Like, look at Christmas and all the memes that came out of Bird Box. That was totally us. <laughs> and um, even in our pain, we find ways of being funny and joy and expressing ourselves and our art and... Um, these companies have a right to, to look after ourselves. Look what happened over the weekend in, in New Zealand. Mm. 
that video was live streamed on Facebook and it was kept on there for 12 minutes before anybody had reported it. And it took 17 minutes for it to start for there, for there to be a response from Facebook. That is terrible. And we need to also be very clear that these social media companies are basically like nation states mm. and they've been and they're lawless and they've got no regulation and they're huge and making loads of money. They're not paying taxes properly. It, the, all of that needs to be exposed. And actually, the more and more I, you know, I've pushed myself in this kind of tech-related violence, online abuse arena, the more I'm seeing a socialist agenda to, to this. If you, I don't know when this is going to go live, but um, this week there was that Facebook video showing how moderators are treated, Facebook moderators are treated, and the, they're in a room, the content they have to see, there's no train, there's no support. You know, a socialist agenda, workers' rights, we should be all over that. Um, and so, yeah, the more I'm, the more I'm exploring and hearing people's, people's stories and the more we're doing our workshops, the more we're doing advocacy work with these companies, the more I'm seeing there's a need for us to understand this is a capitalist agenda that has provided no welfare or duty of care to those that are using these platforms. It's remarkable thinking about the scope of the problem and the complexity of the problem, because obviously there's a there's a personal responsibility. Um, there's then this kind of corporate responsibility from these behemoths. There's a, there's a governmental and, and policy responsibility. And I guess what what has been the most besides the data, which is is shocking. What has been most surprising for you on this journey? Like what have you uncovered that's really made you understand the scale and scope of the problem? Oh gosh. On a personal level, I think it's made me a better ally because I've really understood the diversity of tactics that are used for different communities. Um, when we do our workshops, whether that is around digital citizenship in schools or digital resilience with women in public life or who just want to be online, I spend a lot of time on a particular slide um, called Online Abuse 101. And it's it's a, it's a list of tactics that I've... Um, uh, borrowed from Women's Media Center and I try my best to go through as many of those tactics as possible because that's a way of us being armed and better allies and uh, there's tactics around dead naming that affect trans communities mm. that just never before this I would have but would have known about and would I have cared about really and truly to 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 really understand what the impact of that is and then um also the blackmailing that tends to happen with LGB communities that when they maybe haven't come out with their family and friends yet and they're dating and then somebody takes a photo and they're you know non-consensual photography you know everyone talks about kind of um sexting slut shaming and non-consensual photography or what it was formerly known as revenge porn but again intersectionality has been missed there because it affects different communities so differently mm. um, and again the access to justice these communities have so for example if you're a black woman who hasn't come out to their family or you're an Asian woman who, um, who hasn't come out to their family and you're being blackmailed by um, somebody you were dating or you had, an, a, a, had a relationship with um, where do you go for access to justice? Because you can't go to out, come out to your conservative family. You can't ask them for support. Mm -hmm. And so you have a lot of young people contemplating suicide. And so that has been um, the biggest learning for me around making sure that Glitch and, and myself, whenever I ask Marks to speak or Marks to talk or when I'm writing, I try and talk, talk about the diversity of tactics. One, to stop the media and patriarchy belittling online abuse to be this thing that the snowflake generation can't, 
can't handle. Mm. It's not that. It's a life and death situation. But two, so we can be armed to understand the nuances of the things that happen on happening online, and we can pick that up and help report it. So when we when we first had a discussion, I mentioned that there was a video. No, there was a photo. Of a, of a black, dark-skinned black girl next to a photo of a monkey. And that photo was able to go viral. And st- despite many, many, many people reporting it, it was still it was still there for three days. And so actually, when you start picking up the nuances around colorism and misogynoir, so we can all be allies to each other. So yeah. Also on the flip side of what I've learned around, that's on an individual personal level, um, in terms of... Uh, what else I've learned in, in, in the last two years is the relationship between online and offline and how serious it is. So when somebody makes a threat online, it seems more and more likely that it's going to take, it's going to, someone's going to act on that. And actually it's been an ally, it's a real issue in the global south. If someone in Pakistan or India from a higher caste system or a higher class makes a death threat or is a man makes a death threat or rape threat, the likelihood of that coming to fruition is really, really high. And so there's a real relationship between online and offline and we need to stop um we need to stop seeing there being this distinction. And again, over the weekend that is shown, somebody decided to somebody was grooming each other or organizing and um, rallying each other online one person decided to say look I've had enough I'm going to get a gun and I'm going to go into a mosque and I'm going to kill or murder innocent beautiful people Um, that all happened online none of that was flagged and then the video went out online none of that was flagged like there's a there's a there's a real extension of the online space or the offline space both ways and we need to really understand that we need to not see it as just something happens on our computer block it mute it no there's real powerful activities happening online whether you're talking about interventions from Russia or other foreign countries in our democracy look at Brexit if you're talking about bots that are pretending to be Black Lives Matter activists to anger um, white communities um, if you're looking at incels which freak me out so much when I have to like research it with my comms director I was like I don't want to do any more research on this it's freaking me out incels it's 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 scary and this is this is the new threat to our democracy to our human rights to gender equality to our lives to our lives mm. and it's and and we need to start framing online abuse as a life and death situation i mean this is it feels like social media slash online the internet capital c capital i is is what our generation is going to be the defining theme for our generation how we've responded to or rather incorporated the internet into our lives hopefully for the better but i think the glitch is ultimately a platform for hope yeah. Like, I think that you actually believe. In Naively. <laughs> I do, I do. Because on the, on, on the website, you, you've chosen glitch for a reason. Talk about yeah. why you chose the word glitch. Um, yeah, I naively think um, that it can change. Um, so glitch came, so glitch started off as a campaign two years ago. And I was like, I believe in the internet. Like, I've grown up in it. It's part of my life from using Word art to PowerPoint slides in school to having to learn how to use Excel formulas to the internet and MSN and, you know, trying to get um, Mandem to move to me on MSN. Like, I, I've grown <laughs> up on the internet and I know how amazing it can be, how it's helped me as a black woman, you know, not be crazy when I, not, not, not feel crazy when I, when I feel and see microaggressions and to, to feel affirmed by a community. Like, I've seen the power and 
um, the beauty of the internet and this online abuse is like a glitch that's stopping it from working to its fullest potential and that's where it came from and I looked at the different definitions of glitch and my favourite one is um, from the Cambridge Dictionary where it says um, uh, something that stops something that prevent something that prevents something from working to its fullest potential and I think that's the internet the internet um it's funny last week was the 30 years of the world wide web and I think 30 years ago and and now 30 years on we can we can dream of the possibilities of what the internet and world wide web could do and save lives and you know allow people to come out and allow people to be themselves and express themselves and and save lives like through technology um so it has huge potential but this online abuse this this darkness this violence maybe it's seeping from the dark web I don't know but it's stopping our internet from working to its fullest potential and we're seeing it now with even safe spaces online is being infiltrated by bots or this got cancel out culture or this whole you know um pretending to be size six and taking photos with t's knowing that full well that's not a healthy or the truth of how you got to you got your got to your body that is scary to me and it's where and that needs to be um, um, unpicked and I do think if we start seeing ourselves as digital citizens where we have a civic responsibility online to clean up the mess the same way you know we're talking about our offline communities about volunteering keeping our youth centers open providing um, public libraries etc etc starting to see that civicness online I do think we can start claiming back some of the space and keeping it safe that's a really interesting perspective and I love that phrase digital citizenship I I haven't heard it I mean I've seen it on your website but I I haven't heard that phrase a great deal I think it's because my background's obviously in politics and definitely believing that we should all be civically minded and it just makes me think well how do we start having that conversation online about the online space so when we go into schools we talk to young people about saying look you've we talk to young people and say look you've got digital rights you've got the right to be online and there's a whole push to make sure that even the most remote places in Nigeria have internet access despite there being Napa and (laughs) and there'd be no electricity (laughs) for hours um there's this huge agenda to want us to be all online and it being our human right to every, for everyone to have access to the internet. But with all rights, just like the right to vote, just like the right to go to school comes with, with, comes with responsibility. And how do we start outlining what those responsibilities are? Not just social media companies, but ourselves. And how do we make sure that we are... Um, that we have values, that we're tolerant, that we're critical thinkers, because actually spreading fake news is having a huge impact. Look at the whole anti-vax stuff that's happening online with people believing that um, you don't need to be vaccined and you've got young kids now that are getting tetanus and measles. That didn't happen Mm. when we were at school. So, yeah, being being responsible citizens online and understanding that that is an online space and community that requires input and effort from all of us to keep it safe and to keep it protected. Because if we allow there to be a vacuum, it gets taken by some form of leadership and it might not always be the the best. Digital citizenship, right, and this online civic responsibility that we have to each other. Um, it, It makes me wonder if, social media is not just a mirror to society writ large. You know, because with the Me Too movement, with this this calling out of, of sexual harassment offline, 
and kind of this parallel movement or rather connected movement online to, to, to stop abuse, it's all already there, right? The internet, social media just amplifies what's already there. So, I mean, how much do you think it's wonderful to try to tackle the online aspect of it, but is there perhaps some more foundational or structural work that we need to take in, in society offline? Absolutely. Absolutely, Josh. I think the online space is an extension of the offline space, but it's also a confronting mirror of the online space. So that's why you've got the stats around, um, you know, black women are abused more than white women. You know, black women are a bit like, duh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that happens offline. That's our reality. It's like, you, yeah. you're just taking taking your time to catch up like we know though we know those things because we live it so I think you're absolutely right that the online space is a confronting mirror and I think what we're having at the moment is um uh, white middle class communities being like oh my gosh I can't believe this is happening because they've not had to see it in their offline space because of privilege mm. so the online space allows them to see actually how bad an unfair society is for certain communities. Whether that was the um, p- police brutality a couple of years, couple of years ago, and seeing all of those young boys being um, be- or dying at the hands of the police. Um, whether that is um, Muslim women, visibly Muslim women wearing hijabs being attacked. Um, whether that is being called the N-word on the public transport, like, because that is now being shown online, which is, like you just said, it's the offline, it's it's offline behaviours. I think you're now seeing white middle-class communities who have been cushioned by their privilege to not have to really see it, are like, wow, society is really bad. The online space is really bad. No, no, no. The offline space, the society structures are really bad. It's, re- it's repeating what we're seeing um, every single day, um, but it's also an educational tool for those that need, who have privilege who can be an ally. Um, and that's why I think we also need to think about, uh, when, we, when we talk about digital, digital citizenship, self-care, because how much do you want to keep seeing those those things online? Like I had to, I, I mute the Kardashians, the Jenners, Piers Morgan, Katie Hopkins, but there were times where I also muted hashtag Black Lives Matter and I um, muted... Um, different attacks that happened because I kept seeing these bodies and these mm. these videos, which felt from sometimes to me profiting over our pain. And again, I think it's about um, making sure that we're looking after ourselves because it's so easy, easy to stay online and then to be fed quite negative, sad content. Mm. Yeah. No, it's, it's a really powerful point that this trauma porn. Yes. For for black lives. Yes. But then the online space, could could we have seen the advancement of sexual harassment in workplaces and with structural powers like Hollywood and music? Could we have seen the beginnings of justice um, if it wasn't for the online space? Like right. hashtag surviving R. Kelly. Mm. Um, could we have, you know, could hashtag me to those stories, those testimonial movements could we have pushed that aspect of violence against women and girls? Could 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 we have pushed that agenda without the online space? I don't think so. And it's that kind of it's it's that wrestling, isn't it? That at once, as you said earlier, you know, the internet has played a role in connecting you to amazing people and ideas and perspectives. 
Um, but at the same time, it is there, there is so much violence. So just the other day, I kind of was scrolling through Twitter, and I was just yeah. like, oh. I've, and I follow, you know, I, I've, I have a very curated list yes. <laughs> of people that I follow. Yeah. Um, predominantly black people, predominantly, most of, the, most of whom are queer, most of whom are artists, um, poets, activists. Um, and because my relationship has changed to social media over the years. Um, and so even in that kind of curated space, I turn off people's retweets, you know, I'm, I'm trying. But y- you can't help but scroll through and to see just what feels like the, the magnification or the amplification of ignorance over all else. Yeah. Yeah. Even when you try to, to filter that. So I'm curious about how do you reckon with that? So you said that you, you mute lots of people, but mm-hmm. I wonder how you as an emotional sentient person, as, as a black woman, how you separate yourself from that, how you protect yourself and, and exercise self-care in that regard. Um, self-care has become increasingly important for what I do because essentially I'm working in trauma mm-hmm. and I need to make sure that I don't trigger myself um, uh, I get asked sometimes to talk about the video and how it made me feel and people keep saying did you cry did you you know really wanting to kind of break me which I we can talk we could talk about that another time around how the media love to kind of make women to be this victim on uh, online um, increasingly self-care has been more important so I've gone away on camps and I've done a lot of reading um, the, my, I always say this and it annoys my friends now, but like, what is your need? Like, what do you need, Josh, to be you and to be flourishing and to be happy mm. and to be sane and to be, and to feel safe? And sometimes our communities don't even get the t- chance to even answer those questions. And actually, a lot of people don't even know the answer to those questions. And you're not meant to know the answers straight away. I read Gabrielle, Gabrielle, Gabrielle Union's book, um, which is amazing, and I recommend reading it. It's um, we're gonna need more wine. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she says that she talks about therapy, um, and she's had a very traumatic childhood as well. She talks about therapy, and she talked about uh, the first piece of homework she was asked to do was to write a happiness list, and it took her it took her it took her a year to write ten things that make her happy, because she didn't know because. Our communities haven't. We've suffered so much trauma from so lot for so long, and from such a young age, we don't know. So yeah, if you're happening to be listening to this podcast, I really recommend you to ask your to answer these questions for yourself. What do you need? What makes you feel safe? What makes you feel happy? And those are your boundaries, and those are your parameters of which you need to govern to be the best you. Now that's not always going to be like. I need eight hours of sleep and I need a massage <laughs> and I need my coffee. Mm. Sometimes it's going to be like, I shouldn't eat sausage in right, the morning because right. I'm going to feel it the next day. My stomach's <laughs> not going to like me. And it's about discipline. It's about going to the gym, even if you don't want to. It's about muting or blocking. It's not about engaging the conversation. It's not. It's about not dying on every single hill. You're not a martyr. Not everyone's calling you to fight every agenda. Mm. And that is what you need to continuously go back to and evolve and um and wrestle with yourself um i always say that i can't wait to be pregnant because i'm going to be the 
and most annoying pregnant <laughs> activist. But it's not my time now to be an activist for my friends who are pregnant. Like, I want to be there and support them. I think it's unfair how women are treated online with their pregnancies and when they're mothers and stuff. But I have to set a boundary. Like, I can't fight. I can't fight that and online abuse. Or I have a real issue at the moment with the church as somebody who for so long um, had such a strong faith. And um, my belief in church the institution religion all of that is really up in the in the air and I'm, I've got a lot of anger in me because I feel duped if I'm being honest but I also know that that can't be the hill that I'm dying as well I can't take on the catholic church <laughs> <laughs> and and the government yeah. and you know like, like I have to I have to set parameters um and then also when you know what your need is you know how to get people to support you so mm. when i if i'm about to say anything controversial online because i'm talking about feminism or i'm going to do a media media interview and it's going to go out um i know who to call upon who's going to have my back i have my tribe i have my people who are, who get it and that's not always my closest of friends because my closest of friends aren't on social media so when i whenever when that stuff kicked off two years ago they all told me to come off in the internet my mum when the police came round to do searches of the local area and stuff like that my mum begged me to come offline because she didn't get it so I'm not going to go to them in right. those in those right. in those times because they're only going to make me feel bad and then I'm going to now feel feel concerned for them feeling bad about my safety so I don't go to them you need to carve out your tribe of people you can go to for emotional support and communicate what it is that you need for them now this is it goes two ways because Remember I said that we've all had to go through our journey of understanding what our needs are because we've never been able to, we've not been given that space to do that. Our friends may also not know how to provide emotional support. So there's a level of education and communication that is right. needed. I don't like it when you do this or say this, I need this. For example, when I cry, I tell my friends, or they know now, don't hug me or touch me when I cry because it makes me even feel even worse. And so you need to tell them what is it that you need. And then some friends are like, oh, you shouldn't let that bother you. And I'm like, you're dismissing my feelings and I've mm. come to you for support. And they're like, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Because they've not give, been given that space to really, really reflect on their needs and emotional support that they wanted. Because probably, if you come from an African-Caribbean household, our parents have been like, jo, 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 there's no such thing as mental health issues. There's no, <laughs> you know, we've had, we've grown up with people, elders dis, dis, dismissing emotional support and need and stuff. So... Self-care has become a really important thing to me. I see it as a, as a, as a revolution around capitalism and around um, our, our rights and safety and duty of care that we have to ourselves and what we ask our employers to provide to us. And I think self-care allows us to be intersectional because your self-care is different to my self-care. And when you can communicate that to me, I can be a better ally to you and I can make sure the space that I provide for you takes into account your need. And I think self-care is a really important um, concept that we need to get our heads around and not allow it to be this whole body shot, massage, manicure thing, which don't get me wrong, I have time for, but it's not just about that. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you said that, yeah. It's a, I was in conversation with Amber Hikes, um, who is the executive officer for the uh, LGBT affairs at the mayor's office in Philadelphia. Wow. And she's, it was her and her team that originated the eight-stripe flag, which incorporated the black mm. and brown stripes. 
And but aside from that, her work takes her into the community uh, alongside trans people who are being harassed online and off, um, black LGBTQ people who are experiencing racism from white LGBTQ people. Um, and there's so much pain. And she says, you know, so much of my work is encountering that pain and then making space for it and holding on to that pain. And so, but she, I think she was alluding to the fact that her self-care is not just how she, she, she sees her self-care, not just how she looks after herself, but she recognizes that her holding on to other people's pain is in itself a healing project, that what she does heals. And I just... I think that's an amazing connection to make between self-care and other people because I think that by virtue of being self-care, we think about, well, what do I need? How am I? But actually what you're talking about and what Amber is talking about is actually how am I here in service of others and how do I look after myself so I can continue to be here in service of others? Because I need you, Josh. <laughs> I need you to stay. I need you for a good couple decades, mate. Mm. Not only are you beautiful to look at, but <laughs> I learned so much from your podcast. So I need you to look after yourself mm. so that you can be here to continue serving, not at the expense of your health, but to continue to serve. And it's about sustenance and, su and being sustainable as an individual. Um, we don't need any more martyrs and people dying before their age. Um, I think that's um, really key about self-care, not being, it is about being selfish, but being selfish to in order to serve well. Um, and when our workshops, I increasingly find that I'm holding pain, I'm holding anxiety, I'm holding um, nerves because pe yet there's women in the room who have had trauma online and haven't been told they can call it trauma. And... I've had women who have got anxiety about being online. Um, so I'm holding out a lot of that space. Um, and so I have to make sure that before I do the workshop and after I'm looking out, looking out for myself and providing that space for people to start their healing process. And um, I'm sure there's going to be people that are like, oh my gosh, Shay, you're a hippie and it's not that deep. But it is. It is that it, deep. It, it, is, it, is. it is that deep. And busy being black is the space where we get that deep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. There's also, Josh, a responsibility to embed self-care in our work and in our practice and in our organization so we can make it an everyday normality. So I try really hard with our volunteers and with our trustees to put self-care. I mean, I even put it in the job descriptions of when we did our call out for chair of trustees. Self-care is, is so important to what we do. Um and our practice so we need to make sure that we're not working beyond our means and we're sticking to our time we, we push back on deadlines and also how we respond to people so we're not a frontline service I can't coach and support every single person who goes through abuse it's not possible it's not fair for me I don't have the resources to do it but I need to make sure that in the by response to people they understand that that's my self-care but that that but I'm still being respectful to them so we have to embed self-care everything that we do even when we're asking people to share their experience and document abuse I did a blog post about this we have to be really 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 um, mindful that we're not getting people to re-trigger themselves or we're not re-triggering people when we ask them to document abuse I think PR agencies, publicists, anyone in comms um, have a duty of care to learn about self-care for their clients or whoever they're working with. Like there's been times where really disrespectful journalists and media uh, pe media people in the media either write to me or ask me to go on come on to their programs and talk about how sad and um, depressed the, the going viral and the abuse made me feel and yeah. talk about what they said and why well, do I want to keep telling telling 
thousands of people that I was called the N-word. Like, I don't want to keep doing that. Yeah. I want to talk about the solutions. Yeah. Uh, unsurprisingly, I don't find that enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so there's a real it, there's a real need for us to embed in our organisation, in our work, in our questions of people and how we interact, self-care, so we can start making that the normal. Um, so, you know, I have like a checklist of things that I ask people before I do any like interviews. Like, do you have security? Do you have a really well equipped chair? Because I'm not going to put myself on a panel, usually sometimes for free, to have some idiot in the audience harass me or heckle me. And that's happened a couple of times. And the chair has been, the chair saw it as a form of entertainment and didn't have my back. And so I don't mm. want to be in a space that's not safe for me. And um, I also make, really, make it really clear what questions I'm going to ask or I don't really refer to the video because, not all because I'm ashamed, but because when we talk about the video, someone wants to find the video, someone shares the video, so it goes viral again and then more abuse comes. And, and you know, I don't, I don't take, I don't take take back what I said. I, I stand true to what I said. But those people that are like, "Yes, Queen, and you go, girl," they're not. <laughs> they're not backing me when the abuse comes. Right, so, right. thank you for enjoying yeah. the, the good stuff. But you got to back me when the bad comes. And so that's why I put those 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 boundaries and parameters. And so we all need to embed self care in our work. So it invites you to embed self care too. Yeah. And I think these these boundaries and parameters that you're talking about. And this conversation that you have with um, to, before you go on potential panels and on news organizations is because you have a right to tell your story. And your story has evolved over the years. Yeah. And I think that what social media and indeed the internet does is it's, it's, it can be quite reductive. It yeah. presents humans as, as one-dimensional instead of the kind of full-feeling, flawed human beings they are. And I wonder, how do we make it so that humanity thrives online too? Yeah, yeah. Is that a is that a good question? Yeah, it is because um, you know people. Someone tweeted, "I love following Shay because not only do I get to keep up with you know all the work that she does in politics and um, tackling online abuse, I love her updates and her ad- her admiration for Idris Elba." Yeah, and so people <laughs> see that those two worlds, but I still think that is an acceptable image of me of image of a black woman to have which is you know being really objective here it's a black girl has a crush on an older attractive man i'm not talking about potentially smoking or an addiction you know right uh, well if we all got we've all got light and shade and i'm not i haven't got any addictions um <laughs> just in case people now try and find one um but i am addicted to idris um there's all light and shade to everybody. So I just wonder when I'd be able to truly share the 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 all of me online. Mm. Or and not everybody wants to and nobody has to right. because there are repercussions. We live in a capitalist society where people do Google Google you now and think big up bring up things from your past. So yeah. you know everyone be everyone be aware of what you put online. But in terms of a community accepting you in ugly and in truth and in beauty, I don't know when we're going to get there to get there where we can say, I'm not sure where I stand on this. I need help in my journey or my activism. Or I used to believe this, but I believe this now and I need help. I don't know when we're going to get where, we, where we're going to get there. And I feel I feel like once people become woke, whatever that is, it's like they look down on people who haven't gotten to where they are yet and they've forgotten that it took them a lot of 
thinking and unthinking and unlearning and there's no grace i feel like grace is missing in activism um because what is the likelihood if you've grown up in a nigerian parent household strict christians what is the likelihood of you growing up to be able to be an ally to the black community to, to the black gay community right like, what is yeah. what is that highlight <laughs> what is the likelihood of you being able to be an ally to those that are fighting for gay rights in nigeria it's, it's, it's so the fact that there's one person that is trying and is trying to learn and they might make mistakes and they might use the wrong name like that's not we shouldn't be bashing them we should be supporting them we mm. should be helping them we should make it easier for people to want to learn and I'm not saying that we now do free emotion free emotional labor I'm not saying any of that but I'm just saying there is I can't wait till we start having a discussion around how we help people be allies and how we understand that people's backgrounds and their upbringing does shape what they're exposed to. And, and it's not an excuse, mm, but it's just an understanding. Yes, totally. And those are not the same thing, right? You don't you don't excuse someone by understanding where where they've come from. I do feel like that's a privilege reserved for white people, though. We've seen this in, with Christchurch, um, that the shooter has been humanized. Right, but that doesn't happen for for black people. We don't get to have, we don't get to have made mistakes, um, in the same way. We, we expect perfection from people. Mm. Even with Michelle Obama's book, we expected perfection from her book. She may have said some things inappropriate. Um, she may have, um, you know, people take people don't take people object to her her whole um phrase um. When they go low, we go high, yeah. and you know, and and I completely get that, um, and that analysis. But we expect perfection from our celebrities, and we and we expect perfections from our role models. And then people will say, well, if they call themselves an activist or a role model, then they should deserve to be held accountable. Absolutely, accountability is not perfectionism. Yeah, yeah, it's also accountable and also. Yeah, yeah. Right, like I, perhaps this is a consequence of living in a capitalist society. But the binary, right? Either or. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you are either okay or you're no. not. Instead of accountable and growing. Yes. Right. Or and accountable. Flawed and working on it. Yeah. Wrong but loved. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Accountable wow. is like you're wrong, but we still love you. Yeah. Um, there's obviously a incident that's happened with a very well known black figure online and I don't think it's about trying to get endorsement deals taken from her and you know make her uh, feel yes, bad I don't yes. like what what is that going to achieve there's obviously that person needs to accept that they're wrong first of all you know <laughs> um and I think people are still waiting for that mm. but it's wrong and loved because it's not about isolating anybody we're not we're not we're not twitter's not or social media platforms it's not Judge, jury, and execute. Um, ex, ex, what's the word I'm looking Executioner. Ex, ex, that word that I cannot <laughs> say right now. We're not that. So who are we to start putting people in jail and in prisons? Because it took somebody being very patient with me to make me a better person and vice versa. And I think where we can get, I think what I'd like to start seeing, the steps that I'd like to start seeing so we stop this um, expecting perfection and from, perfectionism from people and adopting this kind of, um, structural racism I think it is um, is one that we should stop looking for personality leaders like stop looking for movements to be led by somebody or personality I think there's safety in a coalition of leaders I think there's a safety in um, 
in a diversity of leaders. So I really admire Black Lives Matter because they're a coalition of queer women who black women mm. um who probably don't always always agree so there's accountability amongst themselves but there's also diversity or march for our lives again a group of um young people i think there's a real diversity which al- again allows for diversity of thought because there's a whole issue around group thinking and mm. how you know, there's lots of research around group thought that stills that, that stalls money that stalls creativity it's the same thing in movements so I think we need to have a coalition of leaders and um, Marble Manning wrote this amazing book called Black Leadership and he talks about how um, movements particularly in black movements have adopted this uh, patriarchal paternal Mm. no yeah paternal a charismatic leader like the church in our movement. So we need a Martin Luther King. We need a Nelson Mandela. We need a Mal- Malcolm X. And we need that one leader. And we expect perfection from this one leader. Mm. And that is setting your movement up to fail because we can't expect perfection from anybody. And in a way, you're making your movement about the person and not about the people. Right. And that puts a lot of pressure on that person to want to perform. And they then start compromising because they need to live up to an expectation that they can't. And so there's a lot of emotional and mental uh, pressures on them that I think then stops them from performing. And so there's a responsibility when we're part of movements not to create cult leaders and not to expect perfection from people and vice versa. Because I tell I tell our volunteers, I tell trustees, I tell I speak say on platforms, I will F up one day, I will flop. Uh, but that doesn't mean the work that I've done on online abuse and the things that I've tried to make bring awareness to that doesn't that doesn't take it away doesn't take away from that. But mm. don't expect perfection from me because I will let you down. I will say something wrong or I will uh, not intentionally um, maybe out of ignorance or a slip up. Um, and so don't don't keep expecting perfection from me. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a monkey. I'm not going to perform for you. Um, so <laughs> yes. creating we need to be careful not to create these cult movements or these cult communities of group thought. It does not allow for diversity of thinking, does not allow for levels of um, journey and growth and doesn't create a space of saying you're wrong, wronged and loved. Mm. And also let's amplify good. Now, people don't always agree with me on this and that's fine. I don't, I don't really care. Um, <laughs> I try and show people who have been amazing allies to me mm. because sometimes there are just people that don't know how to be an ally. So if you can show them best practice or show them best ways, rather than then getting them to be fearful of, I don't know what I can do, I might say the wrong word, blah, 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 blah. Like, should I say uh, people of color? Should I say women? Should, you know, then they, then they all get tripped up and then they start making it about them. If we start amplifying the good allies, amazing people that have done great in your lives. And we're not saying that they should be adored and they should be an idol. Like there's a lot of discussion around the New Zealand prime minister and, you know, how the the whole debate is now being centered around a white woman. I don't think, I I don't think it needs to go down to that extreme, but (laughs) she still needs to be praised for doing, for responding as, responding well as a leader of a nation better than any other leader who has had a terrorist attack happen in their nation state. Mm. she has responded well and so we should be amplifying that we 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 want more of this from our leaders not creating a cult and not saying that she's why um she's not saying that she's um amazing and she's uh she's perfect but we need to be recognizing the good more and i don't think we do that i think we're so good at calling out the bad that we're never really good at praising the good it's like that inner child that craves you know our 
our really fresh African parents to just say, well done for getting an A star. <laughs> but yet they just said, why didn't you get A star star? And, yeah. we're, and we're doing that with each other. And I just want us to break that mold and just be more gracious and loving to each other. Otherwise, our activism is not going to work. Mm. Our activism and our sisterhood and our family that kinship that we need to have each other's back in this in this in this fight against structural powers um it, it for us to be sustainable and for us to have a revolution we we need to have each other's back in spirit and in truth <sighs> that was beautiful <laughs> Thanks. yeah that was really beautiful so the thing that's been bug it's a thing that's been bugging me for a while um around idolism yeah and yeah and i i was going and and perfectionism and not being allowed to make a mistake and i said this to you when we were talking about what we were going to say on the podcast but like i know that i i know that i presented at that time an acceptable version an acceptable response to what happened to me i didn't cuss i didn't drag anybody i didn't swear you know i I provided a palatable response. I didn't do it intentionally, but I provided a palatable response to the structural powers that be to, to be able to get them to support me. But there may be times where someone pushes the wrong button on the wrong day, and I might be like, I want to cuss their mum, I want to cuss their, yeah. you know, like I want to, you know, <laughs> literally want to respond the way I want to. Um, but I know that I don't have the privilege to do that. And mm. I know that um, I don't have the privilege to be angry as I want to be about the injustices that happen and I think actually a lot of black women a lot of diverse communities feel that they can't say what they really want to say and respond the way they really want to because would the, would the media or would allies still have their backs yeah you know this I can't help I've, I'm, my spirit is moving me to, to bring this up Audre Lord, your silence will not protect you yeah and I'm I'm really struggling with that at the moment because I think again it, it links to this idolatry and it links to self-care I don't think that she wrote it as an absolute. I don't think that, you know, because I've read, you know, her books and essays, and I, I keep, because I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to find the moment where she kind of realizes that it isn't an absolute, because I need it to not be one, mm. because I think that particularly after, um, what I've been through and and what you've been through and what many of our community is going through, sometimes silence is grace. Sometimes silence is a form of protection. Sometimes silence is choosing yourself over others. And so I think that with this idolatry, with, with the, these people like Malcolm X and whomever else that we tend to platform as these kind of um, holy, perfect mm. voices for what we're feeling and for our movement, I, I, I just don't think that, that's, that, that everything they said is the absolute truth and that within that there isn't space for us to make that truth the truth that resonates within us and at a different time as well mm, mm. i think definitely it's a different time i think i think i yeah I, I i i hear the spirit in which that was written around your silence will not protect you as in you know silence is compliance and white yes. silence is compliance and stuff like that and i think your silence will not protect you is definitely geared towards those who have privilege. Um, but if you're in a room that and you don't have privilege and you're you need to earn 
money and you need to, you know, you're on probation at a new job. Do you think calling out every single racist thing is going to <laughs> is going to yeah. help the movement and help you pay your bills? I think there's some practicality to it. And, you know, maybe people will say I'm not, that means I'm not left wing if I'm not willing to like die, die on a hill. No, I'm willing to die on a hill. I'm just not willing to die on every single hill. Yeah, well, I, can die, I can only die once. Yeah, <laughs> I can, exactly. I can, <laughs> oh my gosh, can we get that on a t-shirt? I can only die once. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's funny, those that will say that you're not left wing enough are the ones that have got privilege. Yeah, I've got privilege to be more radical. Mm. So I think that's, yeah, that's, yeah. But I think um, your point around sometimes your silence will protect you. Mm. Or maybe it's not silence. Maybe it's waiting. Maybe we take, maybe waiting will protect you because you're not going to remain silent forever. You know it's a problem. You know mm. something was wrong or, you know, your your spirit was moved in the, in, moved and that wasn't, that it sit right. So you, you're, you may choose to respond five years time 10 years time write a letter anonymously or you know you might you're, you're, it might be different in your response you might not say completely silent and ignorant it just like mm. you might you might be waiting well and, and there's we have agency right I think Juno Diaz was, was talking about this like black people are most fluent in silence mm. <laughs> right it's, it's the language that we know better than any other language is how to be quiet and how to choose when to speak and to choose what to say and where to say it. And how to say it. And how to say it. And so I think your silence will not protect you the way that it's used, not necessarily the way that she wrote about it. Mm. The way that we tend to to use that now removes a great deal of agency from the person who chooses silence in that moment. Absolutely. Right, and I think that this, this is part of the movement's problem as well, is that everyone must speak up yeah. Everyone must speak up now and against this common enemy. When actually we might have a very limited understanding of the different manifestations of people's activism yeah. and creativity and like where they're trying to create that small bit of change yeah. that we each have the potential to make. You're, yeah, you're preaching to me right now because I tweeted like two <laughs> days ago, like all these people that have signed this petition to uh, revoke Article 50, um, uh, where were you campaigning for Remain or Remain to Reform? And actually you saying that has really taught me a, a lesson that that wasn't people's hill to die on mm. at that moment. It is now because they see the gravity of it. Mm. And you're right that people's activism or what they choose to do is their choice. It's their agency. And I always say that to women when they say to me, oh, I wish I could fight you know, against the violence that I've, re I've received the way you do. Whatever you choose to do, is valid. Yes. And just because you're not fighting now doesn't mean you won't fight in five years' time. You need time to heal. You need time to get your, get yourself sorted and do you. So don't watch me. Don't watch other people. So you're absolutely right. You've taught me. You've put me in my place around, <laughs> yeah, activism and agency. Mm. So, you know, to, to close, I ask all of my guests okay. the same question. What do you hope for? I hope that we can build an authentic movement using the online tools and space to allow individuals to be their diverse self but come come together on a common goal that is full of grace and love that's what i really want and you think it's possible i'm gonna try <laughs> i'm gonna try um 
yeah, I'm going to try. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try by doing that. I'm going to try by being what I want to see, um, by encouraging those that who are fighting fights that I don't really get and understand, but I think it's amazing by trying to use the little platform I have to amplify other people and to be encouraging. Like, I really want to... And there was a thing, uh, there was a, there was a thing, it was a discussion around um, should black women argue with other black women online? Mm. And I've always taken the stance that no, like we can slide into the DMs. There's, you know, when we were against such, such structural powers, like I feel like let's be united on that platform. Let's not always, because let's not. Um, but there was incidences recently where I'm a little bit like, no, this needs to be called out or there needs to be an alternative narrative, but we can do it in love. And so I want to do that a little bit more. I want to show that you can critique um, and provide an alternative narrative in love. It doesn't need to be for, in, it doesn't need to be indirects for likes and retweets. It doesn't need to come from a place of trying to drag anybody. Because um, yeah, I want young people I still classify as my young, I classify myself, classify myself as a young person, but I want younger people who may look at my platform and look at my tweets on my Instagram to definitely see me as the activist, to definitely see me as a normal person who loves Idris and loves twerking, but also corrects in love and that they can know that they can do that too. And they can do that to me and do that to other people because I think that's what our movement needs. If we keep canceling everybody, there's going to be nobody left. <laughs> Shay, thank you so much for being thank here. You. This has been a beautiful conversation. I really enjoyed it. Me too. Thank you. <laughs> Shay Akawowo is the founder of Glitch, a young and ambitious not-for-profit that exists to end online abuse. They believe our online community is as real as our offline one and that we should all be working together to make it a better place. Fix the glitch now for a safer web tomorrow. Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. Thank you to our partners, UK Black Pride and Blackout UK, and to you, the listeners. Remember this, your support doesn't cost any money. Retweets, shares, ratings, and reviews all help, so please keep the support coming. Finally, thank you to Anthony Giles, a queer black Grammy-nominated producer based in New York City, for these bomb-ass Busy Being Black beats. Ashe. Problems. It's human nature to hate problems. But why is that? After all, problems inspire us to mend things, bend things, make things better. That's why so many people work with IBM on everything, from city traffic to ocean plastic, new schools to new energy, flight delays to food safety. Smart loves problems. IBM. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com smart UK to learn more. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.